Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us this hour on the Nachum Siegel Network. So what do you think of when you hear Regesh Volume 1, Modeani, or that soothing voice that says, this is your one and only, that's right, we all think of JM in the AM, which some people think stands for Jewish music in the morning, but it actually stands for Jewish moments in the morning aptly titled as such because the radio program highlights Jewish music, of course, but also features interviews with varying personalities, including politicians, Jewish celebrities, organizational heads, and other notables. Now, we all know we're nearing the end of this year's two-week fundraising marathon, and I know you will be tuned in tomorrow morning to hear the the live Last Day special. But today, we're going to offer you a rare glimpse into the world of Nachum Siegel's JM in the AM, through the eyes of his ever-so-loyal original staff members. Can you name them all? Mark, Matis, Mayer, Mayer, and Robert, as the show celebrates 30 years. So welcome, everybody, to the 30-year retrospective of JM in the AM. Joining us this first half hour, the inimitable, the inimitable Mark Zamek and Mayer Fertig. Mark and Mayer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Thank pleasure. you. It's our pleasure. And I don't think you can imitate Mayor for a year, so don't worry about it. That, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Although people have tried. So, Mark, this is a, just a general question, hard to answer, but I'll throw it out to you. What are your thoughts looking back 30 years of JM and the AM? Well, my thoughts, just to, 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 to pale on to what you just said, was it used to be Jewish music in the morning. Right. The name JM and the AM, the original title of the show was. Jewish music in the morning, and, and and a few years into the show, I don't know, maybe even years into the show, um, Nahum came to the realization that it was, in fact, more than just music. So, uh, you know, the story at this point might be apocryphal, but but I, I remember vividly one morning he called me. I don't know about a quarter to eight in the morning. I was in my office in Manhattan, and um, he says, "Can I put you on the air?" And I said, "Okay." And he put me on the air, and he says, I want to change the name from Jewish music in the morning to Jewish something else with an M in the morning. Can you help me figure out what we need to do? And this was so long ago, it was before the days of uh, what they call the interweb, and I couldn't um, think off the top of my head. So I literally took out a dictionary in my office and opened up the dictionary to M, and we went through M by M and took callers <laughs> on the air for an hour to discuss what the new title of the show should be, and we took callers. Of course, the one rule was no Mishigasa, Mishigayim, please, suggestions, which, of course, half the people did. But we ended up coming up, and when I hit on moments, I knew that was going to be the end. So we continued through the rest of the M's and came back at the end of that hour to call it Jewish Moments of the Morning. I, it was a vivid story in my memory. As Rabbi Riskin said, I believe that it's a true story that actually happened. That is a classic story. That, that is total classic JM in the AM. Can you give us a little uh, a little JM in the AM background? How did the show start? Um, the show started almost accidentally uh, when uh, WFMU, which at the time was owned by Uppsala College, which is a Lutheran, which was a Lutheran school, which has since closed, 
had a Jewish morning program, and we were actually talking about it on the air earlier in the week. I, as mayor, I tripped over the program accidentally. Right. A guy named Larry Gordon. Larry Gordon was the host. Um, Larry Gordon seated the show after a couple of years. Larry Gordon now owns, runs the Five the Towns Jewish, Jewish Times. Times. Right. So he seated the show to a guy named Zalman Umlis, who then handed it over to somebody named Mike London, uh, who I knew from Teaneck, who then handed it over to Dave Kufeld for a short time, who is, I think, notably the only YU basketball player ever drafted by a professional basketball team. And on Erev Rosh Hashanah in 1983, or the day before that, um, or two days before that, Dave Kufeld announced he was leaving the show, and they needed a replacement. Um, Norman Laster, who was associated with the show, who still does a weekly spot on Friday mornings at 7 o'clock called the Neshama Show, got a call from WFMU, who should we hire? Norman Laster called Larry Waxman, who at the time was the student activities director at YU, who has since made Aliyah, who was, for those listeners who know, the former head counselor in camp, Morasha. Larry knew Nachum was the, not only was Nachum the general manager of WYUR at the time, and a senior, Nachum actually lived about a mile away from, from the... Uppsala College. And then the rest, and Erev Rosh Hashanah in, uh, sorry, Erev Rosh in 1983, Nachum and Dave Kufeld met in the studio. Dave did the first half of the show, Nachum did the second half of the show, took two days off for Rosh Hashanah, and on Song Vidalia that year began his 30-year run as host of Jamie the AM. In a nutshell, that is the history. You know, I never knew before that Kufel did the first half of that show. I never heard that before. Yeah, I, I just learned it this week, too. I was lucky I found that out. <laughs> but Dave trained Nachum, and Dave did the first half of the show, and Nachum did the last half of the show. Mayor Furtick, so Mayor Furtick not a stranger to radio. You have a radio background. What was your involvement in JM and AM? How did you get involved? Well, the first time I heard the show, I was a kid uh, in a carpool going to elementary school. That was before Nachum. I guess that was probably during the Zalman Umbless, uh era. And uh, then I didn't hear it for a number of years. Um, when I was 15, my parents bought a new stereo. Nobody calls it a stereo anymore, but my parents bought a new uh, sound system for the house. And uh, when I was playing with it on Monday morning, this was a Sunday, Monday morning I was playing with the radio tuner before I went to catch the bus for MTA. And as I'm cycling through the channels on a digital tuner, I get to 91.1, and all of a sudden I hear Mordechai Ben David. And I stopped in my tracks. I had no recollection of that carpool experience. I had never really heard Jewish music on the radio before, and I stopped and listened. And then I heard Nachum, and I I really was hooked. Uh, I called him. I became you know an annoying you know kid listener who uh, you know really stayed in touch. I invited myself to the radio station. My father drove me on a sunny, on a, on a snowy Friday, to the radio station, and uh, I started to make a decision in my mind that broadcasting would be something I would want to do for a living. Uh, when I went to, I went to Israel for a year, and when I came back, I had resolved that I would call Nachum and ask him if he needed a fill-in because I knew. Uh, Mark was there, I knew Matis was there, and there was a guy named Chaim Koenig who was not there anymore, Howard T. Koenig. And uh, there was a, another individual, uh, Joel Glazer, who was no longer with the program either. And I thought that maybe he might need some help. So I was kind of expecting to be gently let down at best. Um, but Nachman recently 
um, become engaged to Stacy, and they were going to get married, and he was desperate to have more uh, the ability to take some more time off, I guess. And instead of being turned down, he basically uh, almost lunged through the phone and said, yes, I'm interested. So uh, he invited me to make a, uh, a, a demo tape, which was played for the station manager. I believe it was Ken Friedman at the time. And Ken approved it. So I came in and did, uh, did a half hour, uh, my first half hour on a Friday. I started the show. That was Malcolm's rule then. I had to come in and do the first half hour with him sitting there, and I was never so nervous as anything in my life. I still sitting vividly remember sitting right there. We were in the, not in the original radio station in Froberg Hall. By that time, the station had moved to a house on, uh, Mark, is it Springdale Avenue? Right and uh, I sat in the main studio, 6 o'clock. My father drove me that morning because I was too nervous to drive. I was 19 years old, and Malcolm Siegel, was who... I had been listening to on the radio at that point for four years, um, was sitting there watching me do his job for a half hour. I can and see how that could be daunting. I was so nervous that I, I won't, I, it would be crude to tell you how nervous I was. And, um, and I did it. And the Nahum, uh, who himself believes, although he was told otherwise, that his own first half hour on the radio or whatever was no good, he almost gave up broadcasting at YUR. He, he was generous to me and said, that was great. And I, of course, listened to the recording later, and it was awful. But, um, but it, it, went, it, it went as well as could be hoped for, and uh, I was in. So it's funny. I had a similar experience, um, except that Nahum wasn't actually sitting in the studio when I did my first half hour. He was sitting downstairs in his office, or rather upstairs in his office. So I didn't have to actually face him while yeah, I was doing his he, job. He, he was sitting right there right there and that and that was in the fall and i you know filled in periodically you know with the rest of the you know with mark and and Montes in a rotation whenever i was called upon during the rest of that i guess school year and that summer Nahum went to camp and i did the equivalent of about a month and it was i still remember it it really is probably the best summer of my life well you know it's interesting as as a very young child and of course without giving away all of our ages as a very young child, I remember listening to Jewish radio, and I remember thinking that, like, this isn't for me. This is for, like, my parents. It was boring. I right. just, it was not something that interested me at all. And I'm finding today, especially with, you know, people that are calling in to make pledges for the marathon, that today's JM in the AM is, is interesting for children, for adults, for anybody of any ages. Would you say that Nachum Siegel has transformed Jewish radio? I would say so. I, don't know. I think it might be more. I think it might be more serious to say that he is Jewish radio. Right. I mean, he's transformed himself, you know, um, evolutionarily over the past thirty years, you know, quite a lot. It is interesting, though. We were talking about it on the air one morning this week. For those of you who don't listen to the whole show, the most interesting part of the marathon is the first hour. So every day, so everybody should tune in from six to seven o'clock. That's <laughs> the best part. Um, well, it, but, uh, but, but. We talked about how different the show is now and how um, not only how different it is, but still Matis and Mayor and Mayor and I and Robert are still there at the fundraiser together every single year. So, so much has changed. So much has been transformed, but so much is still the same. Can you share 
your fondest Jamin the AM memory, Mayor or Mark? I, I think my one of my fondest JM in the AM memories, uh, I would certainly say, and Mark may agree, was the trip to Israel we took years ago, but possibly a new one was born this mor- uh, yesterday morning when Rush Limbaugh seemingly spontaneously, oh, yes. uh, certainly none of us were expecting it, gave $25,000 to the marathon in a live interview with Nachum yesterday. So quite, non- that, quite nonchalantly. Right, quite nonchalantly. Just tossed it off. Oh, put me down for $25,000 the way most of us would take a 5 or $10 bill out of our wallet. And that, that probably is going to be a long time forgotten. That's, and that what does that one. say to you and say to the listeners about the reach of, of this program? Well, I mean, there's an interesting story behind that relationship. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, you know, who today is nationally known, uh, hated by many, loved by many, um, but known by really all as one of the most popular, as, as one of the most successful, if not the most successful talk radio host in the United States, started off pretty humbly. He started off as a local talk uh, host on WABC in New York, and very, very shortly into his tenure there, said something that was misconstrued as anti-Semitic, and he was being pilloried, and Nachum and his brother, uh, Nachum and his brother decided that he was being treated unfairly, and they reached out to him and, uh, you know, took him out for a meal or whatever it was, and basically became friends, and I, I guess encouraged and helped him to get through that experience, and they've been friendly ever since, and uh, Nachum and Mayor Weingarten, and you should ask Mayor Weingarten about this uh, later in the show when you speak to him, uh, took Rush to Israel. Um, it's the one time I believe that he's been there. Uh, he said on the air this morning he's, he, his feelings about Israel probably wouldn't be much different today without that experience, but he yet credited it as formative and very, very crucial to his worldview, having actually been there. And that was due to Nachum. So if you talk about the reach of JM the AM, fundamentally, um, it extends beyond the 91.1 signal and the two other stations we have today and the Internet and all that, and the reach of JM the AM extends into, you know, the, the heart of EIB, you know, Russia's Excellence in Broadcasting Network, and, and, and helped shape the talk radio discourse on the state of Israel. And you would say that within the Jewish community as well, the reach has been amazing. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's absolutely right. incredible. I think it's beyond what any of us beyond what any of us would have expected, especially when our names are recognized and mangled and mixed up, but certainly recognized <laughs> in a lot of situations. Yeah, you know, I actually what, have a, I, I, I want to answer your other question if I can. Yes, I'm just going to pass it to you. Because, it, and I think this talks about the highs and the lows of. I mean, obviously, the trip we did in it was a 2000. To Israel is an, you know, is an amazing, amazing, you know, um, and it was my first adult trip to Israel, by the way. So it, it was right. really such an incredible, incredible memory to do those things and to take that picture. It still sits on my, on my piano of uh, standing in front of the, the Knesset. It's just an amazing, from start to finish, it was an amazing whirlwind week. But from an involvement in the show, from an on-air perspective, you talk about the highs and the lows, so my job during the fundraiser is I actually produce the morning show. And it's the only time of the year for the 10 days where Nachum actually gives somebody else control of mm-hmm. what's going to happen on the year. Um, and those people who know Nachum and know this, and Mayor can attest to it, know this to be true. 
Um, the only time he gives anybody else control is during those 10 days. And my job is to shuttle in, shuttle out, prep, and get on the air and off the air whoever shows up into the building. Five years ago, on the Wednesday of the marathon, we had a record-setting 42 guests on the show in two hours, okay? And the most memorable time of that whole day to me was, I, uh, until that point, as you'll, you'll hear, the, was at 8.58 when all the guests were done and out of the studio and the final pledges were read, and I point to the clock and I showed Nahum that it was 8.58 and the show was done. Right? To me, as a producer, to shuttle in and out 42 guests on one day and be finished so he could do the station ID at top of the hour, that to me was the most memorable experience on the air at JM and the AM. Only to finish the story, as we all learned later in that day, by that point, his father had already died. Right. He had left right. the building a half hour beforehand and driven to the ha and driven and unfortunately, as everybody knows, the story um, drowned to be found three to after a, a massive search two and a half days later. So to the highs and, the, and then I, I guess, as the ultimate compliment he could ever give me, on the next day's show, when it wasn't clear what the situation was, and on the following day's show when we had just found out what had happened. He asked me to host the show. So, right. you know, I would say of all the things that I've ever done for those, you know, for these 30 years, um, that might that, that ties in in that period, certainly by far the most memorable for me, um, you know, from a, a high and a low perspective. That's, that's really well put. You know, Randy, I would add, though, just getting back to Mark talking about what he does as the producer of the marathon, you know, by... You're, you, you've worked in broadcasting. By all, uh, by, by many measures, the marathon programming, which is of course dedicated to asking listeners for money, the marathon programming should be, by many measures, unlistenable. Right. It should be, it should be horrible, boring, dull, change the station radio. And instead, what we hear so often is how much people enjoy listening to the marathon, how the, the electricity in the room comes through the radio loud and clear. People sit in their cars hanging on, you know, the last words of the show, waiting to hear the totals, just as they do many other days of the week, you know, many other days of the year when there's something great on the radio and they sit in their cars and they're late to work and they're late to school. The same thing happens during the marathon, and that is such an amazing testament to what Mark does in pulling it all together. Most definitely. And I think one of the things that's most impressionable to me about the marathon is so often when you're sitting alone in a studio at 6 a.m. in the morning, you don't have a real connection, you know, face-to-face -face connection with the people that are listening. You kind of just think that people are listening. You, you, you know that people are listening. But the thing about the marathon is that you really get to see people sort of reaching back. Right. And, you know, with the call-ins, with the pledges, with the guests that show up, with the friends that come to take phone calls, you really get a chance to see the face-to-face -face of the people that you speak to. Right. You know, the, the, the people who fill in, you know, you, you fill in and Mark fills in from a day-to-day -day perspective, though, for Nahum to see that face-to-face, -face, I think that was very impressionable for me, you know, being at the marathon.
Right. You are listening to Mayor Fertig and Mark Zamek talk about 30 years of JM in the AM here on Something to Talk About on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Mayor, you were going to say something. Uh, Randy, I I was going to say, you know, there are always people listening. I know that sounds funny. It's radio. Of course people listening. But, you know, we don't always think so. I remember many years ago, on a legal, early in the morning on a legal holiday, and this, so this, we're not talking about the JM the AM that is the massive enterprise of today, but many years ago, early in the morning on a legal holiday, I said something on the radio to the effect of, I don't think anybody's listening. If you're listening now, call me at 201, you know, and I <laughs> gave the phone number, and for the next half hour, I didn't stop answering the right. phone. Right. And it was, it was such a funny experience. I mean, I could have... I was kicking myself, of course, because it was what ter- for a quiet morning. It turned into frenetic activity until it died down. But, boy, did it drive home to me. They're out there. They are listening. What do you think, Mark, of the technological revolution? We've got daily updates on Facebook. Nachum's got a very popular Twitter feed. Do you think that that has helped the popularity of the show? I think that's helping the popularity of the show, and um, I think that's bringing the show to a a different connection with the listeners. To Mayor's point, you know, that almost gives you a marathon kind of instant response every day. You know, what I see as somebody who's involved in sort of that back end of the program. And by the way, can we just mention, because, you know, I, I sometimes get whiplash from patting myself on the back. We're all volunteers, right? So mayor has a job, and you know I have a job. You have, we're all doing this out of our devotion to the program, to the project, and often for whatever reason. And I, and I think that it's sort of just important to throw in to put everything into perspective. And so, but anyway, to your specific question, the back end of it, I think, is really making a different connection with the user, making it more interactive. It's more, it's much more two-way, multi-way communication. And I think though. The biggest tipping point could be as over the next, and I think it's going to happen soon, um, that we will be, uh, our next generation of cars, meaning in the next 18 months, will really have full-blown Internet connectivity. And then it will overnight become a national show. Whereas now we broadcast all over the world. We have listeners in 215 countries which we know because we see the traffic on the website, it's still definitely known as a New York-based show. And I think that once we're almost at the tipping point and the, the entire game is going to change, and while the Nakam Siegel Network took Jamie Ames to the next level, the technology is going to take the whole network to a place where I'm not sure any of us um, can imagine, and I'm certainly not. I'm hoping that we're all prepared for it. I love hearing you put it that way, Mark, although I have to tell you I have, in the back of my mind, been expecting it because I was working for WCBS Radio when the two, now one, but the two satellite networks went on the air in North America, XM and Sirius. And as the costs of putting satellites into space for those two rival companies started to mount, and there was news coverage over the years of financial you know, strains, and then one of them almost went under and they merged and so forth, um, the technology was building to the point you're describing where Internet connectivity was going to be ubiquitous, mobile, everywhere. And I, I've always felt that would be the death of the satellite networks probably instantly because they'll collapse under the weight of their payroll. But 
it's exactly right. Been building to this point where JM the AM will no longer be constrained by, you know, the the limits of a radio signal. Right. I actually uh, didn't uh, really. By the way, from a technical perspective, by the way, I don't think the satellite companies will go out of business. They're just going to change the method of delivery because content will always be king. Yes. Right. That's true, and they certainly have built that up. They certainly. I don't think they'll be. Um, they won't be selling satellite receivers anymore. I don't think. That's my prediction. I might be wrong. Fair enough. I was going to say that I, I didn't understand, you know, when Nahum started publicizing the JM and the AM app, I really, I didn't have, I had a BlackBerry, but I didn't really use the JM and the AM app on the BlackBerry. I don't even know if it was available on the BlackBerry, but um, until I got my iPhone, that's when I really started to, like, get it. Um, that I really, I, I mean, and I used to call into the stream and listen to the stream on my phone on the call-in line, like, recently. But I started to use the JM and the AM app like everywhere, everywhere I go, in my right. house, in my car, and it's it, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. Correct, but, but 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 the only issue is, Randy, is that radio more than television. Radio is, as Mayor or the professional will tell you, a medium of habit, and even I, who clearly listens to the show on the stream all the time, it's not the first thing I think of when I get in the car. To plug my phone in and load up the Jamie the AM right. app. I'm That's using true. what I'm using my satellite or my AMF radio in the car um, because and until we can break through and get into that be that habit. I think that, that that's why the next that's what the next step is. That's true. Although sometimes I wonder, and I don't mean to call us old, but sometimes I wonder if that's a generational thing because there are people who are younger than us who the first thing they do when they get into their cars is put on their playlists on their iPods. They don't even bother with radio. Right. So I don't know. That could just be, like you said, a force of habit. Well, let's let's talk if, about. If, if, if one vote, Randy, if one vote matters, my daughter who's sitting next to me in the car says she does turn on her phone when she gets in the car. Uh, there you go. See that? See that? Um, we just got a couple of minutes left with you guys, and then in the next uh, half hour, we're going to talk to the other M people. That would be Mayor <laughs> and Matis, the other mayor, as he likes to be called, I'm sure. Uh, let's talk about the music for a couple of minutes. Is Nahum Siegel and Jaim in the AM responsible for propelling Jewish music into the future, uh, Help, helping to bring it out? I think to a certain extent. At the very least, an equal partner. Yeah, I mean, look, there are definitely certain individuals in Jewish music who, thanks to Nahum, have a career. Um, or it was, you know, propelled past a certain perhaps limited point and onto the next level. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely had a big impact. I, I, mean, I look think at that certainly an equal partner to the Neshama and the Guinness, and the Guinness of the world, because, you know, besides just putting an album in order to get that far, and Nachum will tell you, you really need to put, he, he can tell the difference between a guy who's putting out an album in a garage for the first time because he wants to, and a guy who's putting on an album in his garage for the first time and working on the bandstand every night for the previous three years, you could tell immediately what working every single night at a wedding does from a quality perspective to your performance. Absolutely. Um, so I, I Absolutely. certainly think that um, from a distribution perspective between, you know, and again, technology now is playing a bigger role in that as well, but I... I, I I said to, to, to Miriam Wallach today, I, I think it's unfortunate that the artists who are successful think they're only successful because, they're own, 
because it's their own talent, and that without people like without Nachum and 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 the stream and Jamie the AM, that they would still be just as popular as they are. It was, there's no way that that's true. So I agree. I agree. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and, of course, your experience with us about 30 years on JM in the AM. And kudos to both of you for the time that you spend at the station and for what you do, in addition to the things that you do in your daily life and your, and your real jobs. <laughs> real jobs. I appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Thanks again, Thank you, guys. Randy. You are listening to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We'll take a short break and be back right after this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. Happy birthday to you.
Happy birthday to JM in the AM with that selection. Happy birthday. You know, that was the traditional happy birthday, followed by the Good Life song from the Maccabees. You are listening to Something to Talk About. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us this hour on the Nachum Siegel Network. If you have any questions or comments about our JM in the AM retrospective, please do email me at randy at nachumsiegel.com, R-A-N-D-I at nachumsiegel.com. We were joined here in the first half hour by Mark Zamek and Mayor Fertig, who gave us a little glimpse into their perspective of the first 30 years of JM in the AM. And we are joined now by Matis Weingast and Mayor Weingarten. And I said earlier, Mayor likes to be known as the other Mayor Weingarten, though I know that that's a joke. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Randy. Is Matis there? Hey, how you doing, Randy? Great. So, Matis, I understand that you are one of the longest-running members of the JM and the AM staff and your involvement with Jewish Radio on WFMU. What are your thoughts? Sounds right. What are your thoughts looking back on 30 years of JM and the AM? Well, first, I, I find it very, very hard to believe, frankly, that uh, it's been 30 years already with Nachum Siegel on JM and the AM. Uh, as uh, we're speaking this afternoon, we're heading into the last day of the marathon tomorrow morning of our fundraiser, and uh, it's going to be a great finish, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, you'll uh, forgive me if my mind is a little uh, blurry because of the exhaustion I'm feeling. Yeah, when do but, you sleep? Um, Friday night. <laughs> Tomorrow night I'll go to sleep. <laughs> so we, so you get a little feel of what it's like for Nachum every day, waking up at 4 in the morning to be at the studio. Oh. Oh, yeah, exactly. Just a but tiny I have to feeling. tell you that uh, it's amazing that 30 years has gone by so quickly. Uh, and uh, what JMAM has done, what Nachum has done, uh, has been worldwide. Uh, I'm sure that uh, your previous guests talked about so many things involving the show. Uh, I, the reach is tremendous. The uh, technology has increased tremendously. And as I look back and think about the very beginnings of Jewish radio programming on WFMU, it's unbelievable that really it's become, it's gotten to the stage that it's at right now with so many people's lives affected uh, by this one show. How did you get involved in Shame in the AM, Matis? Well, I actually predate Nachum at WFMU, as uh, most longtime listeners know. Um, somebody introduced me to Jewish programming on WFMU, 
And I actually started volunteering for the fundraising marathons even before Nachum came on board. So I was involved there. Uh, I was not a guest host or anything like that, just came in for the marathon and, like everybody else, enjoyed listening to the music on the, uh, on the radio, one station at that time. Then uh, Nachum took over, and I remember that we spoke one time, and the rest, as they say, is a history or 30 years of history. I started uh, coming in to help at the, uh, at the marathons at that time, back in uh, 1984 was the first one. And then shortly thereafter, I began a stint as uh, an occasional guest host and continued from there. Mayor Weingarten is here. Mayor, how did you get involved in, with JM in the AM? Hey, Randy. Um, first of all, may I say that it is a great pleasure and privilege to be a guest on your show. Why, thank you. I really enjoy it. I enjoy your shows. I enjoy what you do. And uh, may you continue to uh, do great things in uh, Jewish radio and in everything else that you do. Um, I actually uh, was living in Israel and came back to the States in uh, 1985 or so. And at some point after, a few, few years after that, I just was turning the radio dial one morning. And I remember as I hit a certain spot on the FM dial, I heard a song, uh, It's Time to Say Good Shabbos. And it hit me as very strange, but it was a most beautiful song, and it really touched me. And I said, wow, there's some Jewish music on the FM radio. And then I heard, you know, Nahum signing off, and I said, well, okay, i got to listen in again. And I became a listener of the show. Um, had no affiliate. I didn't know Nahum, unlike a lot of the other staff members. I did not go to Yeshiva University. I, I I went to a college in Israel, and um, I had an idea. I was in already back then in 1985, six, seven, whatever, in the uh, travel business, Ariel tours, and we organized trips to Israel. And I had an idea that Nahum Siegel, as a radio personality, could lead a tour to Israel and get people to come with him. And so I reached out to a mutual friend of ours, Larry Waxman, who had made Aliyah just a few years before, and who was a legendary uh, Camp Morashah, had a counselor and a very close friend of Nahum, and uh, said, hey, Larry, could you connect me up with this guy, Nahum Siegel? And um, we, it took a while, but we did connect eventually. And, um, you know, the first conversation that I had with Nahum, it just clicked. The chemistry was there. We come from very very similar backgrounds. In fact, our parents, Aleyama Shalom, uh, Nachman's father, Rabbi Zev Siegel Zal, my father, David Weingarten Zal, um, were, were sort of colleagues. I mean, had done things together in, in the Jewish communal life. And uh, we had this background and it just clicked, just from that very first conversation. And we became really close friends. And that trip to Israel actually did take place, I believe, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't remember. I think it was in the summer of 1989. It was actually two trips. They were both very successful. And Nachman and I became very close friends. But I, I really did not become I, – I came down to the marathon and so forth. Didn't become a substitute host. Matis might even remember. I don't remember when I started becoming a substitute host. Maybe in the mid-'90s. I don't know if Matis remembers. Sounds about right. Um, but up, up until that point, that I became a, I was I was sort of there, and Nahum um, 
sort of used my familiarity with Israel and knowledge of uh, stuff Israel to put more Israeli content into the show. And so we started a Yom Yerushalayim special. We traveled to Israel together on Yom Yerushalayim just a few months after we met. And we did live broadcasts. The first time the live broadcast of James Dan was done from Israel. It was very exciting. Um, and uh, then we started Yom Atzmut special, the Tubistad special, all the different, you know, Israel-related uh, content of James in the AM. And um, then at some point, um, I said, you know, Nachum, I, I would love to join the, uh, the group of substitute hosts. And Nachum said to me, what took you so long to ask? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Matis, what is your fondest jam in the AM memory? Wow, there are a lot. <laughs> uh, I would have to say, as a group, it is the trip to Israel that we took. Oh, ding, 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 ding. That's what Mark said. <laughs> oh, cool. Very good. Uh, but it was. Uh, we we went to Israel. It was the first time I had ever gone. And I believe it was the first time that Mark had ever gone since he was like two or something like yep, that. Yep. And, of course, with Israel, I, I remember it as if we went uh, yesterday. Uh, I can picture everything in, in my mind. And it wasn't just going on a trip to Israel. We did shows from Israel. And that brought a different element to the shows. As Mayor just mentioned, there was the... Was that the, the first uh, time that Jam and the AM had done a show outside of the United States, that trip? Uh, I believe so. Well, we did that. We, we, Nachum and I did shows from Israel before that, but as that all of us were in Israel at the same time or anywhere at the same time outside of the United States, I think that was the first and only time. Right. Right. You did shows when you were on the, uh, on the tours, correct? And we did, we did that Yom Yerushalayim show in the first Yom Yerushalayim, and then we did while we were on the tours. Correct. Right. We did numerous, right. uh, bunch of shows from Israel. So doing the shows from Israel uh, gave us a different perspective. It, it, yes, it was international, but to do that in Israel, to bring the feeling of Israel back home to the, uh, to the people that were listening was amazing. I remember that at the time I was teaching in a religious school in Fairlawn, and before I left on the trip, I made arrangements with the staff to um, actually, I was principal at the time, and I made arrangements with the staff to watch me at the hotel on the hotel cam as I spoke to the students on the phone. Uh, it was late at night; it was like 11 o'clock uh, Israel time, and it was earlier at uh, 4 o'clock in uh, back in the United States. And people watched that, and I had comments from parents. One parent, I remember saying that she was crying as she was watching this because she was realizing that her children were listening to this discussion and seeing me in Israel uh, while I'm there, and that connection was very powerful for her. Wow. Wow. And what about for you, Mayor? Fondest James in the AM memory? Well, I'll tell you, the trip to Israel that we took, that whole trip that both Mark and, and Matis mentioned, was it was a great trip, but for me, I can't say it was my fondest memory because I was responsible for making sure that everything happened. Right. As the it, was a work, it was a working trip. It was, it was definitely a working trip. So it was, uh, and and I had you know, again, it was it was something that wasn't as new to me as it was to Matis and to Mark. Um, 
I, I think, you know, a good question, by the way. I think that the second uh, trip, the second group that we took to Israel was on, uh, over Chag HaShavuot. It was Yom Yerushalayim and Chag HaShavuot. And um, there was a family, I believe their name was Scheinfeld, and the Scheinfelds were making a bar mitzvah for their son, whose name I believe was Mayer. And it was Shavuot morning. And anyone who knows anything about Israel and Yerushalayim knows that Vatikin uh, on Shavuot morning at the Kotel, there are tens of thousands of people. And um, it is an awesome scene as you start walking to the Kotel from wherever you are in, in the city. And as you get closer and closer, you have streams and streams, hundreds of people just coming from every direction. And the Scheinfeld said, look, how are we going to guarantee that we have a safer Torah and that we have a Bima so that we can have the Bar Mitzvah? I mean, you know, there's so many people there. And I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And the trick was that my family has a very small safer Torah that went through many, many, many generations in Eastern Europe of horrific Jewish history and which finally made its way to Israel in the 1970s. And I went that Shavuot night, wrapped the Sefer Torah in a talit, and Nachum and I walked from the Plaza Hotel, carrying this little Sefer Torah, which meant so much to me, and we came to the Kotel. Nachum's, uh, some other members of the group were there all night watching over uh, a bima that we would be able to have the... Um, the Bar Mitzvah, and that Sefer Torah um, came together, really put everything together. We, we were there with tens of thousands of Jews, and, you know, people were saying, it sounds like a cacophony, and I said, no, no, it's not a cacophony. It's the symphony of Kibbutz Galuyot. You had every minion of every stripe, of every type, of every Nusach at the Kotel that morning, tens of thousands of people, and that little Sefer Torah that had been with my family was there after it went through all those generations of, of, um, of horror and now was seeing, as we were, the Kibbutz Galuyot, which we were promised thousands of years ago. Wow. So you would agree that JM in the AM is so far-reaching. I mean, you're talking about coming from Israel and affecting, you know, so many people around the world that are listeners. Matas, how do you think JM in the AM has served the community? Well, it served the community in many different ways. Primarily, it's an entertainment program. We uh, have promoted Jewish music throughout. That's the uh, that's the key of the program. That's been the, the way it is. But it has evolved over time. Uh, JM in the AM was a Jewish music in the morning, and now Jewish moments in the morning. Yeah, Mark took credit for that. <laughs> as, as well he should. Uh, and it, it changed in the sense that now there are JM and the AM is the place, uh, it's the show of record where organizations that need to promote the, the events that it's holding or the message or what work they do go to Nachum and need time on the air because they know that the people are listening, they know that the word will get out. So that's in terms of communal organizations. When we talk about an organization that benefits from being on the air, we're talking about how that organization affects hundreds or thousands of people, when you take a group like HASC, 
uh, or any other group that is on the air with Nakam, that group affects hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And through the publicity that the JM and AM affords them and the Nakam gives them, and they're able to have that ripple effect. Uh, so that's in terms of organizations, uh, the music certainly, the um, the camaraderie, the close feeling, the familial feeling, the, the closeness with Israel, um, the uh, the Torah that's on the, on the show, Rabbi Goldwasser every morning, Rabbi Yudin on Friday. There are people who stop what they're doing to listen to Rabbi Yudin and Rabbi Goldwasser. Uh, there are people who want to hear Malcolm Holmline on Friday, who stop what they're doing in order to hear what's going on in the Jewish world. Uh, these are all things that now, especially through the Internet, uh, have a global reach. There are people in parts of the country, in parts of the world, who have no connection to Judaism other than listening to what and what they get on JM and the AM. Nothing at all. And then, of course, with, the, with JM and the AM, it, it branched to the network and you do a wonderful show every Thursday afternoon, bringing in guests that have not been on before and uh, touching upon topics that have not been discussed before. And that reach has increased a tremendous fold because of the network. So uh, JM and the AM moved to the network and, and increased the listenership there and increased the programming, and it just continues to grow and grow. Right, most definitely. We talked about early, that earlier in the first half hour about how technology has definitely propelled the show to newer heights. And when you think about the reach of the listenership, and I throw this question out to either of you, Mayor or Matis, what is your most affecting story from a listener, something you've heard from a listener that really kind of hit you? Or, or anything from – I know we have listeners from far away. What's the farthest – Listener, Mayor, you, you, know probably have a, you probably have a better story than I, Mayor. Well, we, we've, we've heard from listeners in New Zealand. One year on, I think it was Yom Yerushalayim or Yom Atzmaot, there was a fellow uh, in the Jewish community in New Zealand, I don't remember exactly where in New Zealand, who um, had some sort of a blog, and he was listening in. He actually emailed us during the show, and that was pretty amazing. Um, as far as the effect that the show has had, um, years ago, uh, probably 20-plus years ago, um, I was answering the phones at, uh, at the marathon, and I found out that there, is, uh, there were two young men who were in the Merchant Marine Academy in New York who were Jewish but totally unaffiliated and who somehow came across Jamie and the AM and became avid listeners. And the show... And not just, I shouldn't say the show, Nahum's presentation of positive Judaism affected them so that it, it, it pushed them to learn more about Judaism. And ultimately, both of them became Balei Tshuva. They returned to their Jewish roots. And um, one of them I actually was in touch with for a number of years afterwards and has a family and kids and is a... Um, you know, real Shomer Torah Mitzvot, it's an amazing thing. And, and these are not the only two people that we know of that literally became uh, a Balei Tshuva as a result of the catalyst that was JM in the AM, the way Nahum presents Judaism. And I've said this many times, you know, radio in general, 
people think that radio has to be negative. The only thing that attracts ratings is shock jock and, and controversy and stuff like that. And Nahum is, does exactly the opposite, right? Totally counterintuitive. It's only positive. There's never anything negative. There's never controversy. There's never shock jock. It's only positive. Right. And I've, here I've it is 30 that. years later, and it has been so successful and has influenced so many people. Right. And you never know where you're going to meet someone or under what circumstances you're going to meet someone who has been listening to the show. And, uh, and it, it constantly surprises me, although after all this time I really shouldn't be surprised. But I remember one time going on a, a vacation and being down in Washington, D.C., and I, I kid you not with this, that I, I'd been on the, the air with Malcolm in the morning and we were talking about vacation, and I said I was going to be in Washington and I, I was online with my family at a, a kosher restaurant, uh, fast food restaurant in Washington area. And I placed an order, and someone next to me says, oh, you're modest. I heard you on the air this morning <laughs> saying that you're going to be down here. Right. You know, and you, you never know. And then I remember uh, another story, which I think a long-time listeners may have heard. Uh, after the tsunami in Thailand, I had occasion to call the Chabad rabbi there because some people wanted to uh, to donate some money and have it go directly to uh, Chabad so that it could be used for the people there. And I call up, I speak to the rabbi, and then at the end I said, you know, if uh, you can send a receipt, send it to my attention. I gave him my name. Without missing a beat, he goes, Matis, how come you weren't doing the show this morning and Malcolm was there? <laughs> And it turns out that uh, when he used to live in um, Brooklyn, he used to listen to the show. And now when he was in Thailand, he was listening online. Yeah, when you meet the listeners, and I had said this also before, that one of the greatest pleasures of the marathon is really getting a chance to to see the effect of how far-reaching the show is and getting a chance to meet the listeners, if not in person, then certainly by phone and by hearing their pledges online. Um, You really get a chance to see how far-reaching the show is, just by talking to people. Now, Randy, I don't know if you discussed this earlier uh, with your other guests, but uh, you've been on JM the AM for a number of years now. Yes, yeah, so I wanted to say, and and we'll tell this to the other guys as well, and unfortunately Robert couldn't be here um, at this show. He's, he's away on business. But I wanted to say that when I first had my first introduction to Nahum Siegel, it actually came through Mayor Fertig, who at the time was living in Brooklyn and knew my dad, and my dad made the introduction, and I had... He said, I I wanted to get involved in in radio and broadcasting. And um, the men's club, the boys' club, was very intimidating at the beginning. And I said, how am I going to be an affecting member of the JM and the AM staff with all of these guys who've basically known each other for half their lives, and they're all really good friends. And uh, you've all been so welcoming to me as a JM and the AM staff member. And, you know, and now to to the rest of the people that have joined the JM and the AM staff, and to Miriam and – you know, have welcomed us into into this world of JM and the AM. So for that, I thank you. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to thank you. You're welcome. Mayor Weingarten, I don't recall being intimidating to uh, to Randy. Do you? No, but you were intimidating to me terribly. Oh, yeah, I was? Yeah, I thought so. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I forgave you already. <laughs> well, you guys could continue that little, uh, that little fight off the air. Uh, we're out of time here. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your thoughts on 30 years of JM in the AM. Randy, thank you you very much, and thank you for the excellent show that you do every week. 
Thank you. And thanks to all our listeners. Again, if you have a question or a comment, you can email me at randy at nachamsegel.com. This is something to talk about here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And today, we hope we've given you something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about.